1: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martini's coming up.
0: Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got a good and a bad martini. We've also got a crazy, but it's also got a lot of bad to it. And maybe even a good if you think about it hard enough. But uh Jim, I voted this morning. I actually uh, got out of an appointment earlier than I expected to, went over there, very short line. And uh, where I live in Virginia, there's no uh, local issues because those are all decided in odd-numbered years. So it's literally just the House of Representatives in, out, and uh, the Republicans got one more vote. I'm sure you're shocked to learn.
1: Yo, know, not shocked. Uh, I also, I, I feel like we in Virginia, we, we have lots of excitement in those odd-numbered years and then it'll every once in a while you get an even numbered year like this where the only ba- only uh, office on the ballot is the house member uh, Jerry Connolly unfortunately is extremely likely to get reelected and probably reelected quite comfortably in my district. I will do my civic duty nonetheless but uh, not expecting it I guess next, you know. One of these years you have a senate race going on that makes it a little more interesting. But yeah, not exactly itching to run out and vote early. By Virginia standards, a low-stakes, low low-consequence low election. But we'll see how these House races turn out.
0: Yeah, with no state or local races and no Senate race, it's pretty quick. Pretty quick. So we'll see. Congressional District 7. I would love to uh, retire Abigail Spanberger. Uh, don't really know what the polls are. Haven't really seen any. But uh, really would would love to see Yesley Vega win that race. So um, Anyway, on to uh, another poll. And that is in Arizona. A couple of them, actually where things seem to be shifting, not tremendously in the Senate race yet, although it is getting tighter, but it's the governor's race that's raising some eyebrows here. Two polls out yesterday, one from a democratic leaning outfit called Data for Progress had Carrie Lake up over Katie Hobbs 50 to 46%, and that poll also had the Senate race tied uh, between uh, Mark Kelly and Blake Masters at 47%. Then there was another one from Fox 10 Insider Advantage that showed Carrie Lake up 11, 54 to 43. And at first you're thinking, well, it's kind of a propaganda poll almost for the Republicans. But then, no, it's got Mark Kelly up to in the Senate race for the Democrats. So I don't know um, how much either of these polls in and of itself needs to be looked at. But it seems that Carrie Lake is, is hanging on to a small and potentially growing lead here. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is, and we've talked about it before, is she's able to articulate a message while her Democratic opponent clearly cannot and doesn't want a face-to-face meeting. And in this era, I think that matters more than a lot of people realized.
1: Greg, at the risk of treating this like luggage, there is indeed a lot to unpack here. <laughs> uh, the first thing that comes to mind, or I noticed, is that Data for Progress rep- calls itself a progressive firm. Uh, it usually works for Democrats. We can you know, safely call that a Democratic firm. But pretty much the entire cycle, they have had numbers that are uh, pleasantly surprising for the GOP. And I look at that and I think that, okay, you know, sometimes uh, arguments against interest can seem more believable. Uh, you know, a firm is not going to eagerly rush out numbers that look bad for its own side. Uh, I, mean, I suppose they could be trying to, you know, create a sense of panic and intensity amongst Democrats or something like that. But I think this is what they're seeing. I think that they they have no real e- they're not desiring to say, hey, this look ra- this race looks bad for the Democrats. I don't think they'd like to do that anyplace. any place. And uh, the other really intriguing thing is to look if Kerry Lake really is up 11. And that's that's a lot, right? Up by 4, okay. This has been a hard fought, closely contested race the whole autumn. Uh, up 11 suggests that this has been that it's you know the dam has burst. Something changed. Um Maybe it's just a weird or bad sample, but I do wonder if uh, not just uh, Katie Hobbs' decision to not debate, but her the coverage of her decision to not debate, and I wonder if some people may have not paid much, you know, uh, may not have thought much of it in the first story, but then they see a second story about it, or they see an attack ad about it, or they see uh, you know coverage on the local TV news. At some point, there's a cumulative effect where. People who might have been open to K- voting for Katie Hobbs look at that and say, "Well, that's kind of cowardly." Well, wait, you know. also, I kind of wonder how this affects Democratic turnout. That if you're a um, Arizona Democrat, Biden narrowly won the state. That you know, there's more than I think. I checked yesterday; they have more than 1.3 million registered Democrats. How do you feel about your gubernatorial candidate saying, "Yeah, I'm just not going to do a debate"? Um, now, in a second, we can get, raise an interesting question of comparing her to Fetterman. But I think this indicates, wow, it's it's possible not just Republicans have a good year in Arizona. Republicans could have a really good year in, in Arizona. And I think if Carrie Lake is winning by 11, I mean, could Mark Kelly hang on? Yeah, but God, you know, that certainly would seem like a really huge split like that. And let's not forget that in addition to other state executive offices that are on the ballot this year, the Arizona State Senate is on the ballot this year. The Arizona State House is on the ballot this year. And then further down ticket, you've got the state Supreme Court, appellate court, school boards, municipal government, as well as ballot measures. So if if Lake, let's say, you know, let's say the bad case scenario, she's up four. That's really good for Republicans. If she's up 11, it's Katie bar the door. This is going to be a red tsunami, uh, Game of Thrones, red wedding, whatever red metaphor you like. This is going to be. Uh, a huge comeback for the Arizona Republican Party, which, oh, by the way, only has the governor's race. It really has had trouble in these other statewide races, including the Senate races. Um, slump, slim majorities in the state legislature right now. You look at that, psh, you know, this could be a demolishing of the Arizona Democratic Party and really kind of, I don't want to say rebuke, but kind of this narrative that Arizona is becoming a purple state will may need some correcting if these, this thing turns out the way it does.
0: You know, I'm sure I disagree, Jim, with um, the things that the data for progress people want to achieve. They're obviously a progressive firm, and we'd probably disagree on every issue. But I appreciate the fact that they're doing their polling as honestly as possible. I'm looking at some of the other numbers they put out there. They've got Ron Johnson up five. They've got DeSantis up 12, Rubio up seven. And obviously, I'm happy those Republicans are ahead. But that lines up pretty well with other reputable polling firms. So when you see folks out there like Quinnipiac and uh, sometimes PPP, uh, whose numbers never really end up matching up on Election Day, I'm not sure what they think they're accomplishing uh, by inflating, uh, whether it's the sample or or the the ultimate results there. They don't tend to be all that accurate. So whatever else (laughs) these people might be up to, they seem to be uh, pretty honest about how they're going about their polling.
1: Yeah. And just the other kind of thought that I, I have as I look at those, you know, the possibility of Kerry Lake pulling away. You know, Katie Hobbs got a lot of criticism, and it, you know, from Arizona Democrats, not just from Independents or Republicans, for refusing to debate. After Fetterman turned in the performance he did, I, I wonder if she feels better about herself. I wonder if she feels like that was the smarter choice, um, or whether she looks at these poll numbers and there's, you know, uh, a great deal of angst in the Arizona Democratic Party that their gubernatorial nominee decided, yeah, I'm just not going to do any debates this year. Yes, Carrie Lake is probably going to be really good. Uh, on a debate stage, she's been a TV news anchor for a long time, she's comfortable in front of the camera. But you know, like, when you run for office, you really should be willing to get in front of a camera and say, this is what I believe, this is what I stand for, and here's why my opponent is wrong. That, that's not an unreasonable expectation. That's not you know, So if you're physically incapable of doing it, like John Fetterman, you should not run. You should step aside, you should say, I'm not, I'm, my recovery from a stroke. Is going too slowly. it's It's been too difficult. I cannot adequately represent my party in this year's Senate election and let somebody else take over. Yeah, Alternately, if you try the Katie Hobbs line, I mean, maybe she looks at this and says, ah, you know, I made the wise choice. Nobody's talking about what a bad debate performance I had. You know, but at the same time, like this just comes across, I, I think this comes across as arrogant. I think this comes across as entitled. I made the comparison this morning to Martha Copley. Uh, who did debate back in the 2010 Senate race, but who basically just had absolutely awful instincts, acted very entitled, acted like this race was going to be a cakewalk back when she was running for Senate against Scott Brown in Massachusetts. This was kind of the first indicator that that 2010 wave for for Republicans uh, was really gaining strength. You know, Democrats ended up with some lousy candidates this year. And the interesting thing is a lot of this is self-inflicted. Uh, Fetterman could have chosen to step down and ha- let, you know, Conor Lamb or somebody else take over. And Katie Hobbs could have chosen to get up on that debate stage. They chose not to. And at this point, it looks like both of them are going to pay very steep prices for that. Speaking of
0: Fetterman, real quick, before we move on to the bad martini, what do you make of the parade of explanations that we're seeing from people sympathetic to Fetterman. The campaign itself tried to blame Nexstar for doing a bad job at the close. Captioning, uh, you literally had, I think it was Salon or Slate, I can never keep them straight, with an article with a headline literally of John Fetterman's debate performance was fine. It literally fed into the meme of, this is fine. and uh, And then, of course, you've got the ableist crowd saying that this is a moment of tremendous courage uh, not the fact that we're putting someone you know, potentially into the United States Senate in Pennsylvania who can't do it. Because the, the one comment I did see that carried some weight, but I think was the 40th paragraph in the CNN story, was Dr. Jonathan Reiner, a world-renowned cardiologist, saying uh, there were obvious visible signs of severe neurological damage here. Uh, but instead, the left wants to pretend they've got a hero in their midst.
1: Regarding the, the teleprompter or the transcription service, uh, I saw this morning Mehmet Oz has already said anytime you want to do a second debate, I'm fine. Which <laughs> is the right, that's completely the right answer to that. Oh, oh, it was a tech issue. Okay, let's go. Let's do it again. I think it would be, a good, you know, the fact that Fetterman is not jumping on that offer is an indication that no, this was not, I mean, like, is it possible it was slower than Fetterman would have preferred? Yeah, you know, on the infamous fracking uh, uh, answer, he, he did pause for a moment or two, and I'm just kind of looking at his eyes and his face. I think he may have just been reading the words. So, I'm not going to hold a sl- the, the, his response being like delayed for a few seconds is the issue. The problem was once he started speaking, and he clearly wasn't reading anything. It was just you know, there's one point where his um, his mouth is moving, but no sound is coming out. His head is kind of bobbing back and forth, and it just you, you can tell something's just not right there. Um, and the idea, you know, like like here's the thing. if getting to up on a debate stage is an act of courage for your candidate. This isn't kindergarten. You don't get a participation trophy. You don't, you know, like if that's really considered a major challenge for you, you probably don't belong in the U.S. Senate. Um, I don't don't buy into this idea that the job is just to show up and vote. By the way, this is very ironically a a great inverse of the argument some people have put forth against Herschel Walker in Georgia. Herschel Walker, the accusations of paying for an abortion and messy personal life, the claims of his son, etc., all of that points to a guy who's had real problems in his life. And Herschel Walker has been open about having mental health problems in, in past chapters of his life. He says it's in the past. Voters will have to decide whether they buy into that. But this idea is like, look, what is Herschel Walker going to do? He's going to go up to the Senate and he's going to you know, vote with the, the majority of Republicans on almost all the issues. If all you need from Fetterman is that, then you can't say Georgia Republicans are having an unreasonable one. And maybe that's what you know, all Pennsylvania Democrats want. But I think it's a rather glaring indication that we've seen a million and one excuses, all of which are basically designed to delegitimize you, the viewer, from looking at that and saying, oh, my God, that guy's in really rough shape. He should not be running for Senate.
0: Well said. And it also uh, diverts attention from the people who are exploiting him, as I see it uh, from the Democratic Party and his state, uh, potentially his own wife. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens there. And uh Good move by Dr. Oz uh, to offer the other debate. And, and uh, again, uh, it'd be very smart for the Oz campaign to focus on John Fetterman's uh, massive lack of consistency, if we're going to be polite about it, on fracking and taxes and a whole bunch of other stuff uh, when it comes to his previous positions. All right, well, let's talk about some more good news, and that's For Patriots, where you can find them at forpatriots.com slash martini and find all the great deals, including Getting a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Visit 4Patriots.com Martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4Patriots.com Martini. That's 4Patriots.com slash Martini.
1: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: All right. On to our bad martini now, Jim. And for this, we are going to head to a House race in Indiana. I believe it's the first congressional district, which is in the northwest corner of Indiana, usually held by a Democrat. And it is uh, currently right now. The Republican challenger in this race is um, former Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Jennifer Ruth Green. And I don't know what the status of the race is. I'd be surprised if the Republicans ended up winning this district. They virtually never do. But uh, Politico came out with a story a number of weeks ago detailing Um, all the particulars of her sexual assault from back when she was serving in the military that took place in Iraq. This was confidential information that should never have been disseminated. And now the Air Force is admitting that it's screwed up. Uh, This is Fox News. The Air Force has taken responsibility for the release of an Indiana Republican House candidate's confidential personnel records that contain details about her sexual assault, according to two Republican congressmen from the state. In a joint statement that was first shared with Fox News Digital, Indiana Republican Congressman Jim Banks, who serves on the House Armed Services Committee, and Indiana Republican Congressman Larry Bouchon, who uh, described a discussion they had with Air Force Inspector General Lieutenant General Stephen Davis about the Air Force Personnel Center's release of the confidential personnel records. Quote, on yesterday's call, the Air Force took full responsibility for improperly releasing Lieutenant Colonel Green's confidential personnel records to an opposition research firm Just weeks before the midterm election, Lieutenant General Davis informed us that the leaker has been identified and will be held accountable. There's also an investigation underway to determine whether the leaker had a political or financial motive or had an accomplice in the release of Green's records. Now, uh, Jim, this flies in the face of the argument from Politico. Adam Wren was the reporter who said he issued a FOIA request. And that's how he got this information. It appears that that's not the case at all. It was somebody, either civilian or active duty, I guess, in the Air Force, working with a Democratic opposition firm. And, of course, since it's a Republican candidate who's being uh, the victim here, we hear almost nothing about it.
1: So if you want to work for the federal government, there is this you know, fairly uh, complicated set of laws for called the Hatch Act, which is designed to make sure that you don't engage in partisan political activity while you're on the tax paradigm. Ron Klain recently got in trouble uh, recently for about what he was sorts of things he was tweeting from his official US government account. Uh, It's probably it's not all that unusual to see high level White House officials saying and doing political things. I think there was some other case where they kind of wrapped Ivanka Trump on the knuckles over something she had done. I think what is more significant is that when you have a government job and your job is to serve the public and that job requires you to handle sensitive information, you have to handle that sensitive information properly. And you cannot leak it because you think it will help the party you prefer. We've had a bunch of high profile cases of this. I am not someone who believes we are headed towards a civil war. I am not someone who believes that the you know refers to the Biden regime or the U.S. regime. Right? We have a government. We do get elections to decide these people. It looks like we're going to have a very big change coming in these, these midterm elections. However, there is a problem in that people who work for the government and who are entrusted with really important duties start looking at their jobs as if they worked for the DNC. This is a very clear example. And there's no point in calling for a hunt for the leaker because we've already seen this in multiple cases. What came up to my mind when I read this story was the release of IRS files to ProPublica. These were the tax returns of some of the wealthiest Americans. Now this is a federal, your tax returns are supposed to be private, supposed to be you and the government. This is not something that someone can FOIA. This is not something that they can release. I suppose if uh, there's a, it's part of a criminal indictment to come out, but basically this was this argument from ProPublica of, oh, well, these people don't pay enough in taxes and here are their tax returns. The IRS is not allowed to release your tax returns without your permission. That's uh, we actually saw a couple of cases of this with Trump back when Trump was president. The other really infamous example was the leak of the Supreme Court draft. And when that happened and that was, you know, pretty much unprecedented. You saw this uh, explosion of outrage and, and righteous anger that the, somebody at the Supreme Court believed that they could influence a future decision by releasing the text of the Alito draft. And we heard from John Roberts, we heard from lots of people, we will find the leaker. Well, it is October 27th, and we have not found that leaker. The IRS has not found anyone who leaked those tax returns of those wealthy people. And I do not believe the Pentagon will ever find the person who leaked these private records relating to a sexual assault about a Republican congressional candidate. This sort of thing makes people believe that the entire federal government is a sham. This makes people believe that federal bureaucracies, which are supposed to be there to serve everyone, are actually just extensions of the Democratic Party. This is doing phenomenal damage to public trust. And what you know there's two steps to it. The first is the leak and the second part is when nobody ever gets arrested or fired or even you know as far as we know reprimanded for the leak. It is an absolutely appalling trend one that seems to be getting worse instead of better. and I have absolutely no hope that the Biden administration will take any of this seriously.
0: Powerfully said. And I agree with every word you just said. And Jim, I'm guessing the 87,000 new IRS agents probably aren't going to be digging into the ProPublica leak, are they?
1: No, no. But it's 87,000 more people who can leak stuff.
0: <laughs> and harass middle income people, you know, that's because that's how they're going to try to balance the books with all their reckless spending. Well done, everybody. So, Jim, the big thing the Democrats have tried to uh, impress upon voters this year, um, in addition to the abortion issue, I guess, is that our democracy is at stake. It's on the line. And the only way to save democracy is by voting for Democrats. (laughs) That's the only only way, because as uh, Max Boot said the other day, uh, if you vote for Republicans, you're voting to end democracy. So now these same people who claim that uh, the Republicans are such a threat to our to our way of life and our uh, law and order society, they're spending tons of money against Republican candidates saying they're insufficiently loyal to Donald Trump. Not that they're going to be carrying Donald Trump's water and helping him become some sort of autocrat. Axios with the story. Democrats are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars attacking Republican House candidates from the right with efforts to boost spoiler libertarian candidates and portray a Republican who voted to impeach Donald Trump as a traitor. Prominent Democratic groups previously spent millions elevating hard-right Trump backers in key Republican primaries with the expectation they'd be more beatable in general elections. We talked about that a lot during the primary season. Now Voter Participation Project, a Democratic PAC... Is adapting the tactic for next month's general election. The group is now using appeals to pro Trump Republicans <coughs> to try to chip away at conservative base support in key races. The tactics show how Democrats have continued to try to undercut the opposition through surreptitious attempts to chip away at their conservative support. I think this is the most honest sentence. This new effort by the VPP coming just weeks before Election Day suggests a Hail Mary effort to ward off Republican gains. In key races. So they're going after David Valadeo. I think he was uh, the one who voted for uh, impeachment that they mentioned up top. He also voted against the border wall. They're going against a Michigan congressional candidate uh, who's running a pretty tight race against Democrat incumbent Dan Kildee. Uh, and then also in Kansas, in that district uh, right by Kansas City, that's always very competitive, uh, a website devoted to attacking Kansas Republican candidate Amanda Adkins. Uh, describes her as a typical D.C. swamp creature who serves the interests of the D.C. elite. So, Jim, as I said before, this one's kind of complicated. It's crazy if you actually were to take their word for it on how our democracy is supposedly hanging by a thread. I think it's good that they're this desperate. That means Republicans are obviously doing well. But it's also bad because it's really damaging to any sort of honest play here in our politics.
1: It is, and it's sort of the flip side of the Democrats' assistance to uh, pro-Trump, more right-wing, some would say crazier, some would say more extreme Republican candidates in GOP primaries. Uh, Perhaps the most delicious irony is the case, as we discussed, of Carrie Lake, who is now ahead and perhaps ahead by a wide margin in the Arizona governor's race. Arizona Democrats did not spend money promoting Lake, but they did release a whole bunch of information attacking her opponent during the primary for or not really attacking, pointing out that her opponent had donated to Democrats. Now, if you do that in the heated moments of a Republican primary, people, you know, Republicans are not going to say, oh, well, this candidate contributed to Democratic candidates in the past. Well, I like that. No, no, we know what that's doing. They knew damn well what they were doing. They were basically helping carry Lake. This is something like the scene at the climax of Ghostbusters in which Democrats have been asked, choose the form of your destructor. <laughs> they chose Carrie Lake, and now Carrie Lake looks like she's going to mop the floor with Katie Hobbs. Look at these other races, by the way. 538 had a nice little summary. Uh, John Gibbs uh, was in Michigan's 3rd District, one of your home state. Uh, Gibbs, look, because of redistricting, it's a little more democratic leaning district than it used to be. But they still give Gibbs about a 1-in-3 shot of winning that House race. Uh, 538 gives Don Bolduc a 16% chance of winning the New Hampshire Senate race. And I, I've been hearing a surprising amount of either Republican optimism and enthusiasm about this or Democratic pessimism. Um, you know, Maggie Hassan was was not a, you know, was considered a very vulnerable incumbent this cycle. Bolduck is probably not the best candidate to nominate and he was considered more extreme. And then the Democrats went out and spent uh, $3.2 million to promote him in that Republican primary obviously, it would serve Democrats right. It's not surprising that each party would say, ah, well, there are internal divisions in the opponents. I'm going to try to play up on that. I'm going to try to maximize the division there. But when you do that, you're playing with fire. When you do that, first of all, it undermines all of your arguments that Donald Trump is a threat to democracy, et cetera, et cetera. Secondly, if you believe that Donald Trump is an authoritarian, if you believe that he is a threat to democracy, if you believe that he is Uh, an unparalleled menace to the U.S. Constitution. Why are you running ads attacking congressional Republicans for not being loyal enough to Trump? What do you actually want, Democrats? And I don't think they can give a straight answer to that. I think Democrats on some level love having Trump as a villain, and they cannot seem to learn from their experience in 2016, where they were so convinced Trump would be the easiest to beat by Hillary Clinton. History is a line from the first season of True Detective. Time is a flat circle. Everything that has happened before is going to happen again. And when it comes to Democratic strategists and their money, they are absolutely allergic to learning from experience.
0: Again, very well said. What a bunch of frauds they are. Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. Thank you also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Also, please remember to uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Don't forget about Jim's brand-new books, Gathering Five Storms and the short story, Saving the Devil. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Thursday and join us again on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hey guys, we know there's so much going on in the news, but don't worry because we're here to talk about all the things. Biden continues to embarrass America by getting lost on stage and dozing off during interviews. And the January 6th committee wants millions more from us to continue their witch hunt when we have so many bigger issues. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. multiple illegal migrants who were breaking U.S. law. And I have the exclusive audio for all this and more. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show on your favorite podcast app.